Welcome to the University Elite Mental Health Podcast, where your host, Dr. Hans Watson, helps you to learn the why behind mental health issues that you or someone you love may be facing. Dr. Watson is a nationally renowned psychiatrist who is also an expert in psychotherapy, a war-proven leader of the U.S. military, and the only person we know to be an expert in psychiatry, psychodynamics, diet, leadership, trauma, addiction, marriage, education, and more. That's why he was the expert that was flown in to the other side of the country to train the therapists treating the victims and their families after the recent mass shootings you heard about in Florida. We are excited to help you to understand the why behind some real life situations. And now, your host, Dr. Hans Watson, D.O. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast with University Elite, where you get to listen in on Jerem and I having a conversation and, and applying real life to psychology and seeing what the psychodynamics are behind uh, the things we do. In other words, finding out the why behind our actions. And so today, we uh, once again, we'll be answering some questions uh, that came to us from the Ask, a Doc, Ask the Doc section found on the, on the website. And so Welcome, Jerem, to another day, and, uh, and give us our question that we have today. All right. Uh, so today's a potentially touchy subject. We've got a lot of um, things going on in the world today, and the question is, how can a person support this movement without becoming an extremist? Ah, what movement do you think they're, they're talking about? <laughs> did, did they give any indication of that? Um, well, they, they didn't, um, they didn't give an indication in the, con in the question, but, uh, the stuff that's going on right now is a lot of the, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of the race tensions that's happening in America. Um, there are a lot of riots and a lot of conflict from people, um, kind of d just reacting to, the tensions and some of the tragedies that have happened recently. So I assume that that's what they're referring to. Okay, that's that's very helpful. So so what we can address today then is how can we support a movement without uh, uh, with making sure that we're not using this as a distraction from addressing our own things uh, and and also what's the psychology behind those people who are. And then uh, what if we gave some, some uh, real life examples of how a person can have a cause, address that cause without neglecting the important things in their life, without neglecting uh, um, trying to overcome their adversity in life. It, it's never good to avoid adversity with some sort of a distraction. Instead, it's okay to delay handling it till it's appropriate, but to avoid it altogether, that's, uh, that's showing emotional weakness and it leads to bigger problems. Um, and also, how can we how can we have a cause without without ruining the relationships that we need to stay happy in life? So um, that would be fine if we address that. If we do that, do you think we're do you think we're addressing the the question here, Jerem? Yeah, I think so. Very good. Then let's let's jump right in. So so you know, one of the things that I typically see with individuals when they become overwhelmed emotionally. Um, 
it, for, for whatever reason, whether it's a death of somebody, whether it's uh, being unfairly treated, whether it's, uh, whether it's um, being accused of something they haven't done, you, you name it, whether it's uh, race being treated unfairly because of uh, something, you were, uh, color of your skin that you were born with or uh, where you were born. There, there's a million different ways the, the, the religion you practice, there, there are a lot of different ways. Um, and so in that, let's address that generally. Um, and so as we look at that, there is going to be a necessity for us to understand the psychology behind this. So on an individual level, this can be a distraction to where we don't have to focus on hard things in our lives. I, I know a lot of people who have a failing marriage or have a failure in their, in their workplace. If you remember our conspiracy theory um, podcast, right. and we talked about how people can then take a conspiracy theory or a cause, whether it's a political cause, a, a cause based on race, a cause based on something else, and even though they are accurate in it, sometimes they can become so passionate as an unconscious way of avoiding confronting their adversity in their life because that adversity just might be more than they can handle by themselves and they don't know how to ask for help. And so it gets to that point where whether it's a conspiracy theory or whether it's another theory um, or denying the evidence of a conspiracy theory or denying the evidence that there is uh, racial inequality. These kind of things can be a defense. And, and here's the secret. It doesn't matter if you're politically left or politically right or somewhere in the middle. Every one of us is in danger of unconsciously using a cause as a way of distracting ourselves to, from having to confront what we need to. And, and so there's a healthy way to do this and there's an unhealthy way. So understanding that individual psychology is the first piece. So what are your thoughts on that psychology? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> um, I, I think one thing that came to mind when you said there are, it doesn't matter if you're politically left or politically right. I found that it seems very difficult for people to ever focus um, on, on the intended or desired result if they have to let go of the how or the why that they're, they're doing things. So I, I personally, I feel that um, the liberals and conservatives generally want the same thing. We all want our kids to be safe at school. We all want our country to be successful. We want uh, our businesses and our neighbors to be healthy and successful. But we're so focused on how we think that will be achieved that, that we're, become enemies with the people that we have the common goal with because their how is different than ours. And therein lies, you just said something really important. And that's the second half of the psychology behind this. You've got to understand media, the movie industry, the news industry, the radio industry. So media in general, as well as politics, the politicians employ some of the smartest psychologists you will ever not hear of in your life. <laughs> and the reason you won't hear of, of them is it's considered unethical by some people because they're literally taking psychology and manipulating people using it. And so right. if we know the psychology behind all of this, that's going to empower us to not get trapped one way or the other and to not, uh, not fall into the trap of, 
of ignoring evidence that's right in front of us or buying into evidence that's just made up. And so it allows us to, to actually continue in a healthy and reasonable way to the, to the cause that we want to see happen. And so, so the first thing we have to understand is what is the psychology that's happening between, behind the media and behind the politicians? And it's this, it's really simple. If you teach somebody the facts about something, if I teach you the facts of why it's good to get a proper amount of sunlight so that your body makes vitamin D, while not getting too much so that you avoid sunburns and skin cancer, you are going to be, and we'll make up the numbers, you are going to be 40% convinced that you need to get appropriate amounts of sun, and when you're gonna be out too long, that you need to use sunscreen. And that's a silly example, but you'll only be 40% convinced. However, if I can cause your emotions to make that decision, emotions will cause you to be 98 or 99% mm. convinced. Right. Even if you don't know the facts, Emotions are twice as strong, maybe even 10 times stronger, but I'm going to go with twice as strong because I get to throw out the made-up statistics right now. Emotions are just much stronger than anything facts and logic can show you. And so if you can get somebody to buy in emotionally, you can oftentimes get them to take 98%, wipe out the 40% of facts and logic, mm -hmm. and they will then become so invested and so dedicated that you can manipulate them to do what you want. And why does this matter? Well, we know that the media and the politicians have a financial and a power uh, reason to keep you emotionally invested. And right. so are they going to provide you the facts and the logic to make your own decisions so that you understand it? No. Instead, they get to control you. You will watch their show 60% more if we use my made-up statistics on the, on the percentage of being convinced. And, and it, I'm sure those are pretty close, but, but they're made-up statistics. So if somebody starts quoting it, you have to know I made those statistics up. But if you now are deciding what to watch and I have you emotionally hooked at a 98%, you're going to watch my news channel because emotionally you feel connected to me. Whereas the news channel that says, hey, here's the facts and logic. Now you make up your own mind. That channel only got you 40% hooked. Which one is going to make you come back? So which one is going to be able to guarantee to their people paying for advertisements? We'll have more people viewing this. Or which politicians know, no matter what I do, I just have to go back to your emotions and you will continue to vote for me and therefore I stay in power. And so what do we see is the reason these people want to use your emotions instead of facts and truth? They own us. They right. get to control us. And don't think one side or the other has the monopoly on this manipulation because it, you look at it this way. Which, let's take politics. That, that seems to be very emotional. <laughs> which side, the conservative or the liberal? Or you could say Democrat or Republican, or which side has more career politicians that are vested in having people who have vote them into office no matter what, therefore they can take extreme 
uh, viewpoints and not have to work with other people and they don't even have to accomplish anything. Which side has more of them? Spoiler alert, it's even. Right. So both of them have a vested interest. Which news company cares more about getting you emotionally riled up? It's even. Right. Which radio program, you can see where I'm going with this, can't you, Jeremy? Well, and I've even heard of some of the statistics of like how, how many of these media channels are owned by the same small group. And in some cases, they have the conservative media channel and they own the, um, the liberal media channel as well. And so you can see this, not that they really want to get out accurate news, it's that they're saying, we're a business, here's a demographic who will buy this stuff, and here's a demographic who will buy this stuff, and we're gonna inventory both of them. But we're gonna just put it both out there. Very good, and, and I'll use an exa the current example that we think the, the, the questioner, uh, the questioner, uh, the person asking the question uh, is, is submitting, and, and we think they're referring to the Black Lives Movement um, uh, question. And so in this case, let's show this. Is the media going to show the people in Black Lives Matter movement who are willing to hear the other side and they're willing to help people understand and work with them and, and just basically say, let's talk about it, let's hear each other out. Or are they going to take the ones that are going to take an extreme view and they're going to cause emotions to rise up into you to where then they can leave you on a cliffhanger at a commercial and you'll be like, I want to know what else this person said because if you disagree with them, now your emotions are so strong because you're angry at these extremists. And if you agree with them, now your emotions are hooked in, in on uh, siding with this extremist and you can do this. And they're ignoring the fact that in my estimation, 90 to 95% of the people in these movements are not extremists. They're not willing to burn down a, a, a building. They're not willing to be violent against others. That's the minority. But if I'm a news person and my whole job is to cause you as a viewer to have emotions to where you'll be 98% hooked, either way I've hooked you, whether you right. disagree or agree, who am I going to interview? so that I'm going to show that this movement is just extremist. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. And so, one thing that I go back to, you mentioned why they don't tell the facts and, and they prey on emotions instead. And that was from a psychologist point of view or a psychological point of view. Um, I, once, I worked with uh, an incredible salesperson and he didn't, he, he drilled this home more than anything else. He would constantly be saying facts tell stories sell. And so you've got that validation from kind of the used car salesman out there that, that knows, Oh yeah, I, I know how to sell stuff. You tell stories, don't tell the facts. So then you're kind of pulling back the curtain on, on all the, uh, on, on all the shady sales deals that, that we're being hit with and bombarded with in our daily lives here and showing people how to recognize when they're getting bamboozled maybe a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's sad because guess what? I will go on the record and say there is systemic racism that needs to be addressed and fixed. We right. cannot stay silent on this anymore. Yep. But I will also go on the record and say violence is wrong. 
Right. These don't have to be mutually exclusive unless I want to hook you with media. Now, do we need to change things? Yes. Only, a, only an extremist would say no, that things are equal, that things aren't, aren't uh, problematic. We need to take a hard look at it. And, and we need to accept that, that, you know what? Racism is wrong. Systemic racism is even worse. And th the fact that people wouldn't have equal opportunity even worse. And so the, the idea, though, isn't to teach me that and see if we have agreement there because that would not sell. That would just tell. And so right. the, who better than to get somebody who is using this distraction to cause these emotions in me so that I will not leave my politician that says, oh, hey, um, you know, they build up what we call a straw man, which is, uh, I'm against, and let's use a very obvious example. I'm against, I'm against uh, rape. I am right. totally against rape. And if you vote for my opponent, they do something that, that hurts victims of rape. Therefore, if you vote for them, you're voting for rape. Right. And so who isn't going to say, well, I'm not going to vote for rape. I am totally 100% against it. Right. But then you look at it and no, the... The most of the time in politics, what you hear is, no, they're both against rape. They just have different ideas on how to prevent rape. Right. But they'll say, look, my idea can prevent rape. Therefore, if you don't support it, you are for rape. And that's a straw man. So now people come in and say, I'm voting against this person because he or she is for rape. And the person goes, I'm not for rape. Are you kidding me? That's such a lie. And so then what do they do? They build their own straw man. And so now you can see it's a, it's a battle of emotions. And it works. We right. vote for it. It wow. works. We watch these things. So that's it. So the question now, if, we, if I restate it, just so that we don't get lost, now that you understand that psychology behind it, the question was, how can I support a cause that I have without losing sight of who I am, without becoming unhealthy and extreme. That, that's, right. that's the gist of the, the message that I, that I heard in the question. Did I, are we still on the same page? Yep. Yeah. Okay. How can I support the cause without becoming an extremist? So, and so I think. Very good. So, so what we have to do is we have to recognize that there, I have actually four quick steps that anybody who wants to support a cause while still remaining healthy and ensuring that they're not using this as an avoidance tactic, but instead they're actually supporting a cause while being healthy. It's four simple steps, but it will catch most everything you have. And I'm going to tell you in the end, uh, make sure I don't forget it, Jerem, um, why we want to do this so that we can avoid uh, extremism. And it has to do with, with um, preserving our way of life and so, so, uh, and violence. So, the first thing that I tell everybody is if you're going to take a cause, and, and, and whether it's my patients, whether it's people in a motivational uh, seminar that I'm giving, whether it's in other things, the first thing you must do if you have a cause, always have a specific policy you want to see changed. You can't just come in and say, I want to, I want to end rape. That's our, that's our um, uh, ridic ridiculous example because I don't know anybody in their right mind 
who would say that there's any excuse for rape ever. So we'll, we'll continue to use that. It doesn't matter if it's racism or systemic racism. I agree, that needs to be addressed just as much. And I support, I support the current dialogue that is going on to address this and to talk about it and to find ways. So, and, and, and that's where I say, good, let's, let's have that discussion and let's start with number one. I look at um, many of the great people that have brought us from terrible, terrible history to progress. And I say, we're not done. And they all started with the first thing. What is the first policy? And you look at it. One of the first times I learned about this was in high school or middle school. I don't remember the first time I heard about it, but it struck me and it struck me to the core to where I said, this is wrong. And it was the landmark case of, of Brown versus the Board of Education and the separate but equal, where, where systemic racism, this was an early example where we finally had the support, Supreme Court recognize it and say, this can't happen. And it was close. It wasn't like it was a landslide. We had to fight for that. And thank goodness our forefathers did. But that was the thing they did first as they said, this is the first specific thing. Separate but equal is not okay. And thank goodness they did. So if you have a, a, whether it's race, whether it's politics, whether it's anything else, first make sure you have a specific policy you want to see changed. You can't just be a general, uh, a general thing. Otherwise, you're in danger of acting purely on emotion. And, and this is a good point to pause right here and, and say something I brushed over and just assumed everybody knew. And so that's a, you know how the assumption th game works. Right. And so it is never healthy to act with pure logic, like Spock from the Star Trek series. Right. Or I, I, I haven't really watched it, but I, there's a show called Big Bang Theory. And I'm, right. I'm aware that one of the characters has no emotion whatsoever and he's purely logic. And I even know my patients have told me his name is Sheldon. And, yeah. and so I'm aware of this and they just said it leads to such hilarious but real life terrible situations for this person because he's pure logic. Well, we all know the people who deal with pure emotion, even though the politicians and the media want you to do that, those people are also in a very unhealthy place. They're the ones falling apart at the wrong time. They're the ones overreacting. They're the ones who can't enjoy life because it always feels so dangerous that something might upset them. So there's never a healthy, you always have to have a good balance, logic balanced with emotion. You should never ignore one or the other. And so right. that's, what, that's why the first thing, if you will have a specific policy that forces you to take your emotion and logically figure out what policy could help you to make that change that you are emotionally invested in. That brings it into the healthy realm. That, that's the first thing we could do. So, so uh, what are your thoughts with the specific policy as the first one? Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think I probably tend to land more on the uh, try to be all logic side of things. And so I can see how that's frustrating when you you come and you approach it that way, or most likely if you approach it the other way as well, it's going to be hard to get on the same page with people who approach it the, the different way. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just having an argument about a straw man, and we're each arguing a different straw man, and we think we're telling the other person, but neither side is really arguing about the same thing. I see this in my marriage therapy almost 
every single couple that mm. cannot get along, it's because they don't have a specific policy they're working on. Right. It's such a simple thing, but even in marriage, this is necessary because one will be pure logic, logic the other is pure, pure emotion, and they can't see eye to eye until right. they come in and I say, what's the specific policy? And I teach them this first step and they go, hey, wait a minute. And right. it forces them each to come to the middle ground with that first step. Yeah, so would this be kind of where they say good fences make good neighbors, where the fence is kind of that common policy, that specific policy that you can both look at it from different views. And I think that each each of those views is completely valid. They just don't communicate with each other very well, right? If you're all logic, that's valid, but your emotions are also valid. And you're trying to say that we've got to get those to come to a common cause where am I, uh, I think I'm yeah, way off here. You know, I hadn't thought of that, that metaphor, but I like where you're going. You're, you're doing a great job of reiterating the point, that, which is yes, a common cause, but you don't even have to have a common cause, a common point of discussion. Okay. So you don't even have to agree with me when I say Black Lives Matter and this, this uh, pr police brutality, they're bringing up valid points that must be addressed. You don't even have to agree with me, but then if we stop there, we're in danger of pure emotion getting involved. And instead, mm -hmm. the next question could be, I'm not sure I agree with you, Doc Watson. What policy are you wanting to see changed? Do you notice how it takes it past the emotion where we're just going to yell at each other? And now right. we're talking about some specifics to where we could hammer it out. Right. That's why the first thing you need to do is exactly that. And so that's where, you know, when I've, when I've engaged with people that have asked me about this, I've said, what is the policy? And would you know what could have been misunderstood is we didn't agree. In the end, they said, oh, well, there's no disagreement. We both want to work on this single thing. Oh, okay. Whereas initially, had I just replied back with my own, you know, Black Lives Matter, and had I replied back with, well, all lives matter. Right. Wait a minute. Are the extremes on both sides getting us to fight so that emotionally we're there? And then they say, well, I'm against racism. And I say, well, I'm against racism too. And then that person says, well, I'm supporting this policy which could put an end to racism. And I say, boy, I would, I would support that policy. That makes sense. Suddenly we're both going, what was the disagreement again? Right. And right. notice how we abandon our, our catchphrases. Yeah. And we started saying, what's the policy? And now I am actually doing the second step, which okay. the first step leads to the second step. And that second step is having willingness to hear the other side's perspective. Right. We never hear the other side's perspective if we're just beating them up with a straw man. Right. You can't have a straw man, or it's, it's more difficult to have a straw man. Let me say you can't, because politicians have such smart people, they can create a straw man anywhere. So yeah, I take absolutely. that back. It's more difficult to have a straw man if I have a specific policy. Now we're talking just like I have with people, and they, they'd say, well, that, and I'd say, oh, I'm absolutely against systemic racism, as you've described it. I would support that. Where do I sign for that policy? And they go, oh, well, I, I guess I don't have that policy. That's just what I would do. And I said, well, you have my vote. We're on the same page. We don't disagree. Is there right. any, no, no, that's all I'm, you notice how then all of a sudden I'm hearing them 
they're hearing me. So yeah. if you get a specific policy, then if you're willing to hear the other side's perspective, oftentimes that gives you a place you can work and you're no longer acting on pure emotion and distracting. In fact, many times it takes away that avoidance tactic that we're using, which is I'm painting somebody out to be a bad guy because of the straw man that I'm using to represent them. Right. Straw man can also be unconscious for us. Right. And so now, instead of saying, Jeremy, you're a bad person because you are for racism. And right. then we talk about it and you're saying, uh, I want to see police reform where, where uh, you no longer can just pull somebody over for the, the color of their skin. Right. And you no longer can, can be rougher with them than you would a person of a different color skin. And both of us are going, yeah, I totally would agree with that policy. No question. You notice how now all of a sudden we're talking about how would we get to that point? Oh, here's my idea of how we could get there. Oh, well, here's my idea. You hear how now we're hearing each other's side? Oh, those are different ways. That's what Congress won't do. Right. That's what the media won't do because right. they're invested in you being uh, emotionally hooked to where they don't have to be accountable. You have blind faith because it's pure emotion. Right. Well, and, and you even see this in situations that, like you mentioned earlier, it doesn't mean that you have to agree. It's just that you're not making those assumptions that you've been mentally conditioned by the media to make. And, and it al almost like we need to be programming mental triggers in ourselves to recognize this when we're being fed this kind of manipulation. Say, oh, wait a second, you're telling me I have to feel this way about the situation. That is, is setting off red flags in my mind that I need to not listen to what you're saying. There's probably something more to it than that. Perfect example is um, I, I have several friends who have served in the military, and I have friends who have not who get really irate about flag burnings and it, and emotionally it is really hard for them when someone burns the u.s flag and they they become a social justice warrior or a or a, whatever kind of warrior on social media condemning people for burning the flag and then i see some of my u.s marine fr friends um kind of quietly post and say I risk my life for you to have the right to do that. And it hurts me to my core, but I, I defend your right to express your discontent with our country in that way. And, and it's interesting to see that they're not just reacting emotionally, um, even though it is deeply emotional to them, but they are seeing, um, that that uh that they're seeing that point of saying no rights are what matter and i don't like the way you're using that right but i honor the the idea that you are able to use that right in the way that you see fit even though i disagree with the way you see fit and do you notice how they're balancing their emotion of it hurts me to burn the flag with the logic of I believe you have the right to do that. It's in the Constitution. 
The Supreme right. Court has upheld that. So this is the balance we're talking about. And in that case that you just gave, what would the specific policy be? Free speech. Yep. They are defending the specific policy of free speech. And do you notice how that person who says, I am not going to, uh, I am going to defend that you have the right to do that. What they're doing is they have a specific policy and they have a willingness to see the other side's point of view. I recognize you are just irate with an injustice or the way you see it, even if it, they don't agree with the injustice. It's wonderful that that policy, and then that leads us to the third point, which is we have to start seeing individuals as a mixture of both positive and negative in the same person. Once again, if we color people with all good or all bad, that is pure emotion. And why do people want you to color? Um, color? You know, say, say you support um, a Black Lives Matter movement. Well, if somebody that's against that or that wants to get your, their hooks into you, they're going to say, let's color Black Lives Movement as all good. If, if there's somebody who says, okay, uh, these people are all good, every one of them, they have nothing negative. Or if you're against it, if I can color them as all bad and get you to believe that, right. first, I get you to not have a single, a single policy that you're looking at. Second, I don't want you to look at the other side's perspective. You might actually learn something you agree with. And that prevents you from seeing both good and bad in these individuals, which makes it less likely for you to be 100% hooked in and, and uh, you know, they don't have their emotional hooks in you at that point. So that's the third way. And it also stops us from using that as a way of fighting. So, so I would say uh, Adolf Hitler was about as close to, as you can get to all bad. Right. But you could become so consumed by hate that you no longer take care of the things in your life. You quit progressing. So now you're in danger of anxiety and depression. And now you're in, as that decreases, you're in danger of using suicide as a way to escape it. You can just see how terrible that is. And so as you're doing that, the third step is see that people have both good and bad in them. Even some Nazis were kind to their children. Right. It doesn't make them good people, but it does mean they have a good attribute. Hitler was wonderful with his designing of the Autobahn. Thank goodness he did because I love the freeway system. Hitler was abominably a terrible person. I have nothing but negative feelings towards Hitler. Right. However, he did have a positive attribute in designing the Autobahn. Right. So I can see something positive among all the overwhelming negative. And so if you're for Black Lives Matter and, and you agree with me that you are for rooting out and actually having the tough discussion about eliminating racial inequality, well, that's fine. But those who disagree with you, be ready to see the positive in them too. You can't paint them as all good or all bad because now it's pure emotion. And that's a hard one. That one oftentimes takes takes a lot of emotional strength because it leaves us feeling conflicted inside. How could a good person have differing opinions than me? Does that mean I'm not a good person? And we're challenging some of those things that in order to be a good person, the little lies we tell ourselves, in order to be a good person, I, you have to have my opinion. No, there are other good people with differing opinions. 
And if you were broken down on the side of the road, they'd probably stop to help you, even though you're voting liberal and they're voting conservative or vice versa. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful to see the different result that you can have in these situations. It is easy to see right now the results that, that we're having with it being all emotion and, and mental conditioning for each side to assume things of the other. It's just amazing to see that the irresponsibility of the people that are gaining the ratings from, from doing this and that, that, that are gaining from these things just willingly going out and saying, yeah, let's, let's just keep it going. Let the money flow. And you're right. And there is a lot of that happening. I know a lot of people who agree with me on, on taking a serious look at racial inequality and doing it. The, mm -hmm. and looking at uh, instances of police brutality and figuring out ways that we can put an end to it. And I know people who would say, no, I disagree that this is a problem. And, and in the end, guess what? I've been able to be friends with both of them and oftentimes even say, I disagree with you. Here's why. Here's the policy I'd like to see. And then they go, oh, well, well, I could agree with the end you're trying to get to, but my right. policy to accomplish the same thing would be different. And I was able to do that by seeing the positive in them and know that they're not, I haven't been able to create them to be dehumanized and devil a devil so and then the last one this one is more important and this is the hardest one of all of them because we've talked about some heavy things here the last one is if you want to address a policy and you are willing to look at the other sides and then you are willing to say i'm going to see the both the positive and negative the fourth thing is come up with a reasonable path to forgiveness and I want to use Africa as a great example of this. In Africa, there's some terrible warlords, and they kidnap children and make them into child soldiers. Now, most people here, child soldier, they don't understand what this means. This means you are put in a, a simple example would be you are each of the kids are too young to really fight back against these adults. And they'll be killed if they don't do what they say. So the child soldiers are then given AK-47s. And they're sent into, into rival tribal villages, and they just walk in straight lines, and they mow down every single person in those villages. And oftentimes, it's their own tribe, but they're killed if they don't do it. So when you hear child soldier, it's not that they're going out and becoming a soldier under the age. No, they're being compelled to murder other people against their will. Right. And once they sent in these... Um, uh, I don't think it was NATO. I believe it was uh, it was um, UN soldiers, and they they basically destroyed some of these warlords until they no longer were willing to do child soldiers. And they brought them back to their village. And the key to the village where they were returning was oftentimes these child soldiers had killed family members of the people that lived in their village. You'd killed my aunt, my uncle, and my cousin, my mother, my father, right. and they had to find a way to give these child soldiers a way to atone, to reach forgiveness. And they did a wonderful thing. I, it, somebody very smart came up with this. They actually said, the village is going to come up with a way and they're not allowed to harm you. You can't just say eye for an eye because that never works. Um, but instead what they said was, you have to serve 
those that you hurt. And which was a very powerful thing. And so these child soldiers often now in their late adolescence or early adulthood, they went in and they said, I killed your, your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your sister. And they're very sorry for it, but they also gave them a way to atone. And so they went in and they said, this much makes four weeks of you being an indentured servant. And they went in. And the stories that I've heard from, from survivors of this was, it was so fulfilling to be able to show them that I'm humbled and I'm willing to do this. And they started to realize, I'm a good person who was forced into child uh, servitude there, into child soldiering, if you will. And it wasn't all my fault. And I did do heinous things, but it's not like I'm automatically a bad guy. And both parties healed. And it right. all came from that. What is the path to forgiveness for those that have done wrong? If there's those that aren't willing to atone, we're, we're not talking about that. That's a different story. But those people who are willing to say, I had no idea, or even I had an idea, but I'm willing to change. What is our path to forgiveness? That's not going to work for politicians, and it's not going to work for media because they lose their ability to manipulate you. So they're never right. going to tell you this. But the question was asked of me, how can I be involved in a, a, uh, a cause and not lose sense of who I am, not lose my good self. And that's the fourth step is you've got to come up with a way to those that have wronged you or somebody else to be able to find forgiveness and atonement. And that's hard for many of these extremists because they're not looking to forgive somebody as they change. They're right. just wanting to use it as a distraction, to act out anger, to, to essentially many of them, it's actually power. They feel so powerless in their own lives, they're seeking the counterfeit of controlling others. Mm -hmm. And so this is the hardest one, but it might be equally as important as any, well, it is equally as important, possibly even more important than the other three. In my opinion, this is the hardest and most important one because it's the one that's going to determine whether you have the strength to be able to handle getting behind a cause and not harming your life or loved ones around you. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Um, as you were talking about those child warriors and, and what they did, it struck me that that was as much for them as it was for the victims. Like, I'm sure in a situation like that, um, a lot of people would have been able to say, these kids were taken from their families, their families were killed, they were injected with drugs, and then brainwashed and forced to do things that they never would have done. We'll just forgive them. But you're saying that those children needed some way to earn that forgiveness for them to, to feel okay about themselves. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't allow that um, in, in our solutions for, for things. We only think um, somebody's wronged us. They need to make it right for us. And we're not thinking, is this method of make, what makes it right for me, is that actually going to help the person who wronged me as well? It's very hard to do that. 
I'll even go a step further and say psychologically, it will never work to give one thing to another person. If that, if that uh, child soldier had just come in and said, here's $10,000, which would be a, just a monstrous sum of money to these people in these villages, and then never come back, neither side would have neither side would have been able to heal like they did but what they what i've heard from the survivors is it got to the point that not only could we forgive but we learned to love each other it didn't take away the pain of me having killed their family member right but it lessened that pain and we learned to love each other on a real level and forgiveness happened and that's where my opinion is it cannot be I'm giving you something because you've been wrong. Instead, how am I, if I have wronged you, uh, say I'm, I'm a racist and you are a person of color, Jerem, and I've wronged you, what can I do to serve you so that the two of us learn to work through this? Is it that uh, I'm a doctor? Maybe I'm going to tutor you to help you to get into medical school. And so we're forced to spend time, that's a silly example, that may, not, may or may not be appropriate uh, for the situation. But right. the point being, how can you two serve so that you work together in, a, in, a, in the shared goal of forgiveness and, and earning the right to be forgiven? Right. And it's never going to work to say, okay, let's stay segregated, but equal, and we'll just give one person or the person who's been harmed that. We've seen that in Sharia law right? in the Middle East. Yep. And what is the result of Sharia law? We have seen thousands and thousands of wars for thousands and thousands of years in the Middle East. I'm sorry, that's wrong of me. It's not just the Middle East. We've yep. seen it in America. Right. We've seen it everywhere. So, so let me correct myself there. That was wrong. It's everywhere. If you right. don't get together and say, I've wronged you, can I serve you? I would like to come over and work alongside of you so that, so that I can earn your trust back. Right. Notice how that means you don't sit there. I don't sit there. What did these child uh, soldiers do when they returned? If grandma was out weeding in the garden, they were weeding alongside of grandma. Grandma was still weeding. Right. If, if mom was carrying buckets of water from, because they, they weren't fortunate enough to have a well near, nearby or a pump, guess who was carrying buckets of water with mother? Or these are silly examples I'm making yeah. up, but they worked alongside of them. Right. Well, what, one thing that stands out to me on this is, um, if I can use a personal example, because what, what it feels like you're saying is that um, people don't want to just be compensated for a wrong. We actually want that human connection. We want to get that back together. And so I, I think a good example is if, if I do something um, horrible to my wife, for example, let's say I go out, I cheat on my wife, and she finds out she's horribly hurt, but I buy her a new Mercedes or you know, I do something less severe and I buy her flowers, but I keep doing the behavior that's offending her, that's not healthy for the marriage. What she wants is she wants that emotional change where we can change our hearts and get along with each other. And I think that that's kind of what you're saying here is that we could, um, we could say, that's it. Um, 
this side has to pay reparations to that side. And what's going to happen in that case is one side's going to resent what they're being forced to do. And the other side is, is still not going to get that emotional connection, which is what we really want is for everyone to get along, to love each other, to look past race and color and gender and all these things. That seems to be what we really want, but we're getting all these suggestions of solutions that you're saying won't actually produce that. They don't, won't actually change the hearts on the sides and bring us together as human beings. I'm struggling right now with any politicians or any media that have come out with a specific policy. They haven't even started with number one. I have heard organizations that have come out with policies. That's a good first start. But right. then remember, we need to have a willingness to hear the other side as we're talking about ways to get to that shared end goal. We need to be able to see those that have harmed us, both positive and negative. And lastly, then we need to provide a way for forgiveness that involves us being forced to work together. Because only when we work together will we actually learn the, the truly good things about these other people and learn to see them as humans instead of see them as this facade that the media and the politicians have us create, which is they're all bad. They're all good. I support my politician. They've never done anything wrong. And, and so you can see that's why oftentimes we'll crucify a politician because they did something wrong. I remember uh, uh, Mitt Romney. Now, I'm, I'm neither for nor against Mitt Romney. Um, he's no longer uh, uh, running for any office uh, now that he's no longer president. So I can, I can use his, him as an example. But I remember some organizations and the media especially painted him out to be really bad because he has teased somebody in middle school. He teased somebody in middle school. And this was the dirt they were digging up on him to show why he was all bad. And people bought it. Mm. When you use logic, really, I would hate to be judged on who I was in middle school. I've right. grown a lot since then. I'd hate to be judged by who I was 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. I'd like to be judged by who I am because there's a lot of things that I did. Maybe I wasn't, maybe I wasn't purposely harming other people or, or, or purposely uh, doing things to, to discriminate or anything like that. But who's to say that I didn't make a knuckleheaded move that, that was ins insensitive? Right. Who's, and I hope I learned from those examples when somebody said to me, Hey, Doc, that really, maybe I wasn't Doc then. That really hurt my feelings when you did this. It made me feel this way to where I could say, I'm so sorry. And together we worked on it and I grew from it. I'd want to be judged by who I've grown to become. If we hadn't worked together, we may never get to see who I'd grown to become. If those child warriors didn't get to work with the families they'd harmed and the villages they'd harmed, they would never get to see the growth those child warriors had become as, as they became men. Right. Just, that's why this is important is because otherwise both sides lose out. Reparations don't help both sides to see the growth. Um, you watch it and you say, and I'm okay with reparations being let's work together. Yeah. Let's both work together. I love that there are some wonderful organizations out there that, that have partnered, and the NAACP is, is one that I really am getting behind. 
Do you know what they're doing? They're sending people in and the way they're doing reparations are they're sending people into the most disadvantaged neighborhoods and they're having those people help with education programs so they can break the cycle of poverty. And right. you know, the people who are being, who are being mentored, they're starting to see a different view of the people that have, they've been told by some people are terrible and they'll never help you. And they're saying, actually, they are here helping me and they're a lot more like me than I thought. And they're wonderful people. They care about me. And then those people are starting that are mentoring them uh, are coming out and saying, these people in these inner cities, they're not the thugs that the media is telling me they are. Right. These are good people. They just never had the same opportunity I did. Maybe the system put them at a disadvantage. I'm not going to stand for that. I'm going to do my part in my life. Do you see how finding that way for forgiveness in working together, there's no other way for us to successfully have a cause without that piece. It's paramount. That might be the keystone to the whole thing. Right, right. And forgiveness is not saying that what someone did was not bad or that it was okay. It's just letting go of the fact that I'm not going to dwell on it anymore. Like it, it was bad, but now we're going to start from here and move on. And well, like, maybe. I think forgiveness from a psychological standpoint is even, even more different than that. Forgiveness does not mean we forget. And it doesn't mean we put ourselves back into a, a harmful or a toxic relationship. It means that once they're showing evidence that they've changed, that we are willing to give them appropriate chances to demonstrate their change. That's what forgiveness is. It's appropriate chances. If you had somebody who abused you, it would not be an appropriate chance to give them a chance to be alone with you where they could abuse you again. Right. But it might be appropriate under court supervised visits to see okay. there's that's forgiveness is an appropriate chance for them to demonstrate. And as they prove their, their worthiness with that, then maybe you give more appropriate chances that a little more and a little more and a little more. That's what forgiveness is. It's not closing the door on reconciliation. If, there is evidence of change. Right. Cool. So, so that, you know, and, and, and I said, uh, in the end, why does this matter? This matters greatly for a society because otherwise we're all going to lose faith in humanity. And if you listen, the way the media and politicians have currently pushed the country, many people have lost faith. And I'm going to tell you right now, I work with many people from all different backgrounds and I have for years. There are more good people still today than there are bad. But we have problems, we need to address them. I agree, we need to confront, uh, as, our, as our questioner we assume is asking, we need to confront racism, we need to confront systemic racism, we need to confront uh, police brutality, that none of these are okay. We need to look at ourselves and see if we are unconsciously a part of that. These are all good things, but we need to follow these four steps so that we're not falsely creating villains where they don't exist. And we're giving people that chance to atone and to have a way for forgiveness so that we can grow closer and stronger as a society. It used to be that even if you hated your neighbor, you used your neighbor when in dire straits. 
The neighbors would share a cup of sugar with each other. Sometimes now, I remember one time taking cookies to a neighbor when we, when we first moved in there, and I grew up in a small town to where that's what you did. You moved into a place, you baked cookies, and you took them over to your neighbor. Either, either if you could beat the new people moving in, you did that, and if the new people could beat you, they would, and they would come over with a plate of cookies and say, we're new people in town, or welcome to the neighborhood, and they would then, that's how they'd get to know each other, and they'd find out we're completely different, but they helped each other. When one person's lawnmower broke, you'd see the other one over there mowing their lawn for them. We've lost that. And it's largely because we're no longer worried about a specific policy. We're no longer seeing, willing to even hear the other place's perspective, much less uh, deal with it. We're no longer willing to see the individual as having both positive and negative. And lastly, we don't want to give a way for forgiveness because that might force us to look in the mirror at some of the things we're avoiding. And right. so you can see how that works. Now, what is the danger in this? As one group is told it's okay to be violent because there's enough groundswell, this pure emotion leads to violence among the extremists. As one group does this violence, don't you think that it's gonna last forever? No cause or no government or no anything lasts forever. It eventually crumbles. Look at the, the Holy Roman Empire. It was as powerful as any empire we've seen. It crumbled with a large crash. Any movement will. And if you have now made it okay to use violence because you've allowed those extremists to not have a specific policy and to color people as all good and all bad, and to never consider the other side's perspective and see if there's part of it that we need to incorporate and not have a way to do that. Well, guess what? When your side loses power or popular support, we will see the violence then from the other extremism. We've set a precedence that violence will be okay, and they will get enough ground support to now bring violence to the other. Well, what are they gonna do? They're gonna reciprocate with violence, and violence keeps leading to more violence, and that's when we see civil wars. We right. are on a dangerous path with the way the media and the politicians are doing this. The only way I know to stop it are those four things. And if we will, we can have a cause that we support that's healthy and we won't jump in too deep and we won't dehumanize either uh, other people. We'll be knowledgeable on both sides and be able to say, I hear you, I like what you're saying, you're trying to get the same place, I disagree that that's the best way to get there. Much different. And we're going to be much more likely to give somebody who has wronged us a chance to, for reparations. So, you know, and that's, I'll, I'll give one final example of why this is so important. If you look at the U.S. Uh, incarceration system, when people break laws, we stopped, I'm going to, I don't remember, I studied it at one point, but we stopped doing rehabilitation in our prisons. And I think it was near the start of the 19th century, but the date's not important. We stopped decades ago, if not centuries. Mm -hmm. And what we started to do is saying, we're gonna turn from a rep reparations and learning to do better model to we're gonna lock people up as a punishment model. Right. Our recidivism rate, and what that means for anybody who doesn't know, means people who re-break the law and get locked up again. Yep. 
has skyrocketed. In the US, we are some of the worst at saying, we're gonna put you in jail to punish you, not to rehabilitate you. And we saw the recidivism rate skyrocket and it stayed up and we keep people locked up and it's causing a lot of our problems. And this is one of the areas I'd love to see reform. And, and it does, it primarily affects people of color. And so we see they may not have been taught you know, one of the studies that I read, the study conclusions came down that fatherless homes, which this is not a, just a problem of any race, but fatherless homes, uh, people of color do struggle with this. They tend to have lessons that weren't learned, and so they tend to, to break laws and get uh, uh, incarcerated more often. Well, then the system fails them, and this is part of why I believe there is systemic uh, inequality for people of color. Why the heck aren't we in there then saying, okay, this is your view, you know, your view of what a man should be came from the gangs. Right. Let's talk about that. Let's do some therapy. Why aren't we flooding our prisons with, with psychiatrists and psychologists? Right. Why aren't we? Because we're focused on punishing, not on rehabilitating. I'm okay with you uh, as part of the, the rehabilitation, there's a consequence, mm -hmm. but we've got to give a path for forgiveness. And that's uh, the other thing. When people come out of prison, we give them no chance to ever get it. You're allowed to, you're allowed to take people and just say, Hey, sorry, you have a, you have a conviction and they have to report that for what about ones who don't have these, these convictions? Shouldn't there be a little more, uh, perspective in that saying, okay, they did this, but they were a kid and they're not, they don't have to report it to employers forever now. There are right. certain employment categories they do, but not all, and give them a chance to be defined by who they become instead of who they used to be. This is another good reason we have to start focusing on the way that forgiveness comes, not just the way to, to be punished or reparations or any of these things. What's the path for, to forgiveness where we grow together? Because guess what? I have close friends who are felons and they're good people who made mistakes and they paid the price we said they should and people wanna still continue to punish them. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences and I'm not saying we put, put our, our families into situations where they're at risk, but I am saying there needs to be a path. And so I am friends with people who have convictions but I'm also smart about it. This is the reason we do this because otherwise it is going to be a problem. So that's why these four steps, you can't eliminate any of them. I, I don't see another way to psychologically help us to be healthy, to heal as a, as, a, as a country, and to actually get to a place where we actually start making real progress on some of these legitimate problems. So those are my thoughts, Jerem. You, you tell me where, where to go from here. Well. Well, let's, let's recap those four steps because I'm trying to write them down and make sure that I've got them. But, uh, but let's just run through those again real quickly. First was have a specific policy whenever right. there's a cause. What do you want to see? Uh, the, the perfect one that I, that I love and I still think it's wonderful was the women's, women's suffrage. Now, for many people, suffrage was a new word to me when I was in college, heaven forbid. It means the right to vote. Right. It doesn't mean suffering, it's suffrage. <laughs> so women's suffrage, the right to vote. I'm so grateful that, the, that that was done. Thank you, forefathers, for having the foresight to realize 
systemic bias. And so how did they do it? Well, it was a lot of people who got behind a cause, but they had a specific policy they were looking for. They wanted the right to vote. Right. And then in their debates, if you look back at those women who made the biggest changes, they were willing to do number two, which is hear the other side's perspective. And right. so they were able to take that. And when the perspective was, well, women are inherently not as smart as I'm making them up. I don't, I don't remember what the, uh, what the arguments were because mm -hmm. I, already, I already am very sure that women are equal to men. There should not be any bias. So I'm not going to go back to what the, what the, the. I think a lot of it was that uh, women were going to be controlled by their husband and would only be able to vote the way their husband told them to. So. And as you say that I'm remembering some of them, yeah. some of them were that due to the uterus, the women were purely emotional and therefore could not rationally be depended on to use logic and make a, a clear decision. Ridiculous. Right. We know today, just yeah. ridiculous. But they took that, they heard the other side, and then they, they were able to give examples and say, I hear you that, that our uterus makes us unable to be rational. However, who is the person you go home to every night in order to, well, my wife, and your wife is not, well, no, my wife is rational, and your wife doesn't deserve to vote. So they were able right. then to work with that, but they did hear them out. And that's why number two is there. Okay, cool. <laughs> Excuse me. Third one willingness to see the individuals you disagree with that they have both positive and negative attributes so see the positive and the negative in all people doesn't mean you have to agree with them and it doesn't mean you have to think they're overall a good person but you must be willing to see positive and negative in in everybody that way you're looking at individuals instead of dehumanizing groups right and you're balancing some of that logic in with the emotion yes and then lastly is the one that we've hammered home and and i think is the most important one which is a path for forgiveness right if we do those all of us can have good things and and i'm going to go as far as to say you need to have some something you're fighting for that's necessary for you to be healthy. We need to have something that we're pushing for and trying to accomplish. It allows us to make progress in our lives. It brings us, progress brings us happiness and self-confidence and self-esteem. And so if you have nothing you're fighting for in your life, you're going to be miserable, but you need to do it safely. It's kind of like you need to get some sunlight, but not too much. Right. This is the same thing. You need to have a cause and your cause can be your family. Your cause can be helping a troubled child. There is there no limit to the causes you can choose, but you need to have those four steps in order to be healthy and have good balance in your life. Right. Incredibly powerful. All right. So as always, we, we appreciate you guys dropping in on Jeremy and I having a conversation. And thanks for the submitted question. What a good one. I hope, uh, I hope we've been sensitive to um, people's uh, viewpoints on some of these causes. Um, it's really important to us to be willing to take our own medicine and hear all sides of the story. And then to be good stewards, we need to be involved. We need to have causes. It's not okay for us to be disengaged civilly um, in our, we should have uh, a hand in our, in our government. We should have a hand in our representatives. And if we know our representative isn't willing to balance both, 
We should vote people in there who are willing to, to have specific things they stand behind. They're willing to talk about the other side and the merits of the other side's approach. This is where we're going to be healthy as a country and we'll be able to put a stop to pure emotion. And uh, just so you know, University Elite does not uh, support any political cause one way or the other. Uh, we support patience. That's our goal. We, we are not into politics. We are not into media. We are into making you so good that you no longer need our care. And that's our entire focus is to help you do that by learning the why. So if you want to see more, please check into our, our website, universityelite.com. And if you want to submit a question, we're always there. And we'll uh, catch you on the next one. Thank you, Dr. Watson.